Hey, Andrew. Hey, Greg. Are you ready for the launch of Disney Plus tomorrow? Yeah. I mean, when this gets released, it'll probably be not tomorrow. Yeah, no, it'll definitely not be tomorrow. Uh, But yeah, let's try that. Okay, let's try this like professional podcasters do. Hey, Andrew, how did you feel about the riots in the street and declaration of martial law that followed the launch of Disney Plus this past Tuesday? You know, I was really on board with the martial law, but not the riots. Yeah, at first I I supported Lord Humongous of the Wasteland, but... um, He's turned into kind of a problematic character. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm excited because like I'm splitting it with a friend because that's what millennials do, I guess, right? Uh, and we did just went ahead and bought it for the year, so it was thirty five dollars. So for thirty five dollars, I get to have access to a ton of shit whenever I want. Seems Th- good. That's that's not bad. Uh, particularly, I was realizing like I don't remember the last time I watched the original Star Wars movies just yeah. because. They they weren't on streaming services, and I don't like I couldn't tell you last night a DVD player, and I guess I had them downloaded somewhere, but I not kind of stopped. The infrastructure for that has kind of fallen to the wayside. So, so yeah, it's been years, probably. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Like it has been a while since I think I've sat down and watched one. And you're right. Like I can't think of a time when they were easy to watch on streaming. Maybe they were for a minute, but if you have um, cable, I know they like. I think I think like TNT had the cable rights and then like they had a thing on yeah. where you could whatever. But on any of the major streaming things, they've, they've never been on any of the major streaming uh, services. Yeah. Um, it's funny because, I mean, obviously we've known we're going to get Disney Plus because obviously there's just a lot of good stuff in there. But also having a kid and we are a little tired of the what she's been watching all the time lately. Is so, it just Daniel Tiger on repeat forever? It is Daniel Tiger on repeat forever. Um, which there are much worse things that we could have to listen to, but like it'll be nice to kind of get some some things to refresh in there. And um, you know, the holidays are coming up, so we're gonna be doing a fair amount of traveling in the car, so we can we like to download some movies to the iPad, and this I think really opens up a lot more options in that regard. But anyway, I've been kind of well, can I talk to you about the entire for a second? Oh, sure. Uh, well, I have a really good like headcanon about something. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, I want to tell you <laughs> that. So my my friend, a friend of mine, he has a child that is she's probably he's probably a little younger than Charlotte, maybe. Mm-hmm. And of course, they listen. They watch a lot of Daniel Tiger. Um, but for some reason, as children do, he has become obsessed with the Daniel Tiger rendition of Wheels on the Bus. Huh. To the point where for hours they list, have to listen to it, and if they don't. He screams bloody murder. Wow. For hours. So this is the gentleman who hosts our weekly game night. So game night theme music is Daniel Tiger wheels on the bus. (laughs) So hours. So I get a lot. There are a lot of Daniel Tiger songs in my head all the time. Um, And that's fine because actually the, the songs actually are like actually helpful for like teaching her stuff and reminding her of stuff. Like they have one where it's about. Daniel learns that like, you know, like when your mom and dad go and leave you with the babysitter, they they come back and there's a song that grown ups come back. And like whenever Charlotte gets a little like anxious about like, you know, me or Karen leaving the room, we can sing that little song to her and it helps her calm down. It's very helpful, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of Charlotte being in need of any particular song, I don't think she knows right now that we can control what music plays. Oh, 
<laughs> so I don't think she knows that she can request things like she knows that we're in control of what plays on the TV. So she'll ask for things. But right now with music, I don't think she knows that we're in charge. So I'm going to keep it that way. You probably just make her listen to, to Bell Witch anyway. So um, I, I we when, when she's in the car with me, we listen to daddy's music. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, so sorry. Continue on. Yeah. Your time Disney so Plus. we've been like emotionally committed to Disney Plus. I haven't. I mean, like I haven't pre-ordered it because I mean there was that prepay and get a you know get a get a discount, which is a good deal. But we weren't. Um, I actually don't think it's a prepay anymore. I think it's just like you can buy it for a year. Yeah, like, that is a payment option. But there was for a while they had a um, they had a deal where like you basically you prepaid for the year, which got you a discount. Mm. But if you did that within a certain period of time and committed to two years, you got the whole second year free or something oh, like geez. that. So we missed that deal, which it's fine. But um, but even so, I've just been feeling like I have Disney Plus and at some point it'll just turn on. But I get an email from Apple um, this week of like, hey, because you bought something from us recently, <laughs> like you get a free year of Apple TV Plus. I was like, OK. Fine. So we have that now, and I keep getting the two confused. <laughs> Disney Plus and Apple TV Plus. What, I don't what's think, on Apple TV Plus? Oh, it's all original programming that oh. uh, no one says is very good. Okay. <laughs> it's like Jason Momoa's new show <laughs> where, like, everyone's blind, but he can see. Or maybe he's blind and everyone... No, that wouldn't... That's yeah. just the regular world. <laughs> Yeah, no, that, that's just blind Jason Momoa, the movie. No, it's, um, yeah, no, I, I have absolutely zero interest in it, but it's like, it's free, so okay. So anyway, I've got that now. <laughs> hmm. Um, um but you, yeah. Speaking of streaming services, have you seen this also about HBO Max? Uh, yeah, that seems weird. I mean, we're gonna, I mean, I think when it launches, because we get our quote-unquote live TV through AT&T's live tv streaming service we get we already have hbo so we will be upgraded to hbo max just automatically but mm. hbo max seems like kind of a scam to me like i get what they're going for but it's it's okay but it's just time to ditch hbo then right, right. like because like they have no from what i've read there's no intentions of dish, dishing like hbo now slash go whichever version you use if you have the actual cable or not uh and HBO Max is going to have some of the stuff from HBO, but not all of it, which seems dumb because I, I get it because it's basically Warner Brothers and I guess AT, AT&T like trying to consolidate a lot of stuff, which is good yeah. in theory, right? Like they're going to have looks like they're going to have some, if not all of the stuff from the DC streaming thing. They're going to have stuff from the CW, like all of their spectrum of things that, you know, another mega conglomeration owns in one place. Great. But I'm not paying for HBO Max and HBO now. Yeah, I'm not sure. It really seems like it is like an additional tier of service above and beyond base, base HBO, mm. which because HBO now or HBO Go. Well, HBO now and HBO Go are essentially the same service. It's just a matter of you have HBO Go if you. Well, no, you have one of them. If you I always subscribe to the service. <laughs> yeah, I get them confused too. One of them is just. That's the the app you get if you have HBO through some other arrangement. Correct. And the other one is I want to buy this as a standalone streaming service 
but the, essentially they they go to the same place. And but the app itself has always been great. Like it, it, it's mm-hmm. to me, it's been one of the best like TV station like standalone apps. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, the stability of it when Game of Thrones, you know, was on and everyone like millions of people were watching it, like. Yeah. And it always worked like on the dot at nine o'clock. You can watch it. And that's impressive to me. And and we use a lot of these TV apps to because we, you know, we're cord cutters. So we use a lot of them and like some of them are just really clunky and bad. And this one's really good. Um, but if this is an additional tier on top of that seems really rough. Like I remember when there was FX and then they're like, oh, no, now there's also going to be FXX. And it's an additional channel that you probably have to pay for. And we're moving all of our good stuff to that. Like, that seems like what HBO Max is doing as opposed to like, yeah, we're just kind of consolidating and rebranding a little bit. But it's, you know, and bringing some more content into what you're already paying for. That's not the vibe I'm getting, though. Mm. And then there's FXXX, which is the channel you really want to get, right? What? You <laughs> they don't put porn on television. It's on the internet, right? It's a bad joke. Okay. Um... Yeah, I don't know. I'll see how it pans out. Um, I, I'm just, like, frustrated. But, uh, I mean, I, I'm not one of those people. I hear a lot of people on the internet, and my friends are just like, there's too many streaming services. And I'm just like, this is what we all asked for. We asked for an a la carte option for the things we want. And the nice thing about it now is, like, and what I started to do is just, like, I just turn something on for two or three months, and then I turn it off, and then I move on. You know, I catch up on some things I wanted to watch, and then turn it off, and then maybe six months or a year later, I'll do it again for two or three months, and that's going to be, I think, an increasingly and oh, Amazon. You can through Amazon, you can manage a lot of those things now. So yep, and the um, Apple TV ecosystem makes it very easy to kind of subscribe to channels on the go. I like that element, but it also feels like we're moving in a direction where like. These things are going to start to consolidate again, where HBO Max is going to start to bring in more and more of various content streams until it has completely subsumed the DC app. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And now you're back to just paying for giant packages again. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's going to be the Disney package, which is going to get you Hulu and Disney Plus. And ESPN. And ESPN. And then there's going to be the like AT&T Time Warner package. You know, mm-hmm. and these things are just going to, going to, yeah, it just feels like it was just the old business model was just waiting and biding its time to strike again. <laughs> but as long as it stays relatively affordable, like, I mean, when I think about how much we pay for cable, like even when I was still, like, oh yeah, or how much my parents were still paying for cable. It's like, this is insane. Like upwards of like, you know, hundred, 150, 200 hours a month. And it's like, and Disney plus is effectively gonna be five dollars a month for me right like that's like the split in half basically and you're getting a lot that you didn't get with cable because it's not just oh i can just turn this on and just whatever's on is in my house now but you you know you have the on-demand access right that you get through the app um so that's better than cable and like you said you have the ability to you know turn on cbs for just a couple of weeks to watch star trek and then turn it off right which is not an option you had in cable very easily. Like they had these huge packages, but you'd be shutting off like 40 channels at a time. Right. And then screwing up your internet service because now you dropped out of the bundle that you agreed to. Yeah. And, you know, um, and usually you had a contract of some sort. And yeah. All this kind of bullshit. So, so it's still better than it was, but it, it feels like we're moving in a direction I don't like. That's fair. That's fair. I think that, I mean, I still just think like it's 
a little bit of us being like we're like just like have it really good and we're taking it for yeah. granted because like man the, even just like people can complain about the amount of content on different things but like even just netflix itself which has lost a lot of things and people complain about it but like the deal you get for netflix where you can basically like oh a new show came out comes out every two or three days as previously discussed like some of them aren't gonna be good but there's still a ton of stuff on there to navigate and figure out like you could be completely content to just have that if you really needed to which i think is a good option for you know some of us can afford to have a couple of them some of us can't and i think it's good that now like real like good content is available to a lot more people yeah. i think and honestly honestly now i might of the list if i had to pick one to cut right now it might be netflix yeah i mean i like I think I'm probably with you on that. I mean, I think most people are feeling that way. I mean, I do like a lot of the Netflix originals that there's some that I follow, but some of them are starting to wrap up. So it's like, I'm not sure. Cause like, you know, Stranger Things and Orange is the New Black and Grace and Frankie, which I all like, but like all those are starting to, starting to wrap. So, but when I think about the, like when I'm looking for something to watch and I think about what's, what's the one app that I like dip into click around and then be like, eh, nah, fuck it. It's, I feel like Netflix is the one that I bounce off of the most. Well, the thing is though, Greg, you can't get rid of Netflix because what does Netflix have? That nothing else has Ava. Yeah. 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 But maybe, <laughs> maybe it's for the best. Maybe, maybe it, I wouldn't even say probably. Yeah. But. <laughs> probably, probably should cut that out of my life. Anyway. So, anyway. Uh, speaking of Netflix, I did watch something on Netflix recently. Um, I watched, uh, it was a Netflix original, um, kind of a small horror film called In the Tall Grass, based on a short story collaboration by Stephen King and his son, Joe Hill, um, who's an up-and-coming horror writer in his own right. I I wouldn't even say up-and-coming anymore. Like, he's a legitimate, like, fully-fledged horror and comics writer at this point, um, and did all of that, kind of like Colin Hanks, like, kind of got his start before he made it public, like, who he was. (laughs) Um, so he really got there on his own merits. Um, so this is kind of an interesting setup. Um, obviously there's a field of tall grass and people wander into it and then they can't get out again because magic and horror stuff. Um, and I was kind of interested in like, yeah, yeah, I'll kind of watch like a kind of a, you know, kind of a weird, you know, small scale horror movie. Um, and it wasn't that great. Mm. Um, it, it, it just... I don't know. It feels like I enjoy horror movies. I like creepy stuff. I like ooky spooks, but I want them to be about something. And this one didn't really feel like it was about anything. Um, it felt like it, it nodded towards being about things like it felt like it was kind of hinting towards something about patriarchy or hinting to something about, um, uh, you know, the, the religion and madness but i think it all just kind of fell apart and it's one of those things where any particular horror writer well and not even horror writer you start to kind of see like oh these are your moves and then it kind of come becomes predictable and i feel like now i'm starting to realize like oh joe hill like it always comes down to family for you right like it always comes down to like people figuring out their family and that's the that's how they kind of solve the puzzle and kind of making connections. Um, and the kind of central, like, moral heart of this movie, spoilers for In the Tall Grass, um, is about a guy kind of taking responsibility for um, 
getting his girlfriend pregnant, which mm. especially because you spend a, a good chunk of the movie with the girlfriend and she seems genuinely kind of okay with the fact that he kind of dropped the ball on the responsibility. She's kind of ready to go off and like be independent and move on. But then the movie kind of changes to more about him and like kind of solving the puzzle of the horror scenario is him kind of like taking responsibility finally. And that's kind of a weird shift. So um, it's a it's a fun watch. It's it's, a, you know, it's it's if you if you want just kind of a kind of a quirky, unusual horror flick, give it a watch. But uh, bleh. that's unfortunate. That's um, right. Are speaking of. Stephen King, are you interested in this Doctor Sleep movie? No. <laughs> okay. Um, the Shining, The Shining is a great movie for a lot of reasons, but the lore was never one of them. And and to kind of call back to the previous conversation about the Dark Tower, like I'm less interested when Stephen King is all like building out his lore and getting into magic and secret organizations and all that stuff. I generally like Stephen King when he's when things are a little bit smaller and um, creepier. Um, so, yeah, that's fair. I heard it's, I've heard good things, but I, yeah, I've heard good things, too. I just don't think it's for me. Yeah. Um, Greg, I want to shift to something creepy as well. Did I did tell you that that currently right now on TV is the last season of Supernatural. Oh, I, I know this. This must be hard for you. It's not hard. I, it's very much <laughs> like, ooh, we probably should have done this like two or three seasons ago. Maybe, yeah. But um, and so far it's OK. I, the premise is good. Um, I I don't really want to spoil anything yet, but the premise is good. It's basically like, what's the biggest thing that can happen in the, in this universe, given the, you know, the 15 seasons of lore at this point. And it's like, okay, we're going to do that, which is good. Um, that's how a finale should be. Uh, I think that they're, they're making some interesting choices, but I'm hoping it ends well. I... (sighs) I'm nervous because <laughs> sticking landings is not something the show typically does in an average season. Oh. So I'm I, usually it's okay story wise, but just like I just kind of falls apart, like in some of the mechanics, I don't think it's like run out of money or whatever. But yeah, um, yeah. So uh, I am curious, like what where these two guys are going to go afterwards, though, because they've been doing this for 15 years. I mean, they yeah. were kids when they started the show, effectively. Yeah. And, you know, and kids in Hollywood land anyway. I don't see, I don't know what you do after this. I mean, Jerry Padalecki, who plays Sam, already has his next gig. He is playing the main character in the upcoming, I, you're going to fucking lose your mind when you hear this is happening. Uh, the CW is making a rebooted version of uh, Walker, Texas Ranger, <laughs> which I is mean, something everybody asked for. I mean, okay, so wait. All right, hold on. <laughs> I mean, I know that we kind of had to get there just because um, the list of things that hasn't been rebooted is getting shorter. And at at one point, it will be Walker, Texas Ranger's turn. Now, I am not at all saying that, like, Walker, Texas Ranger is something we must defend. And, like, how dare you? (laughs) How dare you tread upon this sacred legacy? But yet, one, who asked for this? And two, when Walker, Texas Ranger started, like, Chuck Norris was a bona fide action star known for karate. Um, I, I, Dean from Gilmore Girls is not known for his karate, is he? No. And it's also kind of like, I'm also just wondering why it's on the CW. Like, yeah, I don't like 
in general, the CW is about like sexy teens for sexy yeah, teens. That's what I was going to say. Like Walker, Texas Ranger was definitely not a sex sexy teen kind of program <laughs> i mean and, and supernatural's not and never was but i mean they were sexy teens but they didn't really do sexy teen stuff but at least they had the heartthrob nature i guess for a while but now they're like adults like in their 40s so i'm just surprised they're like having him play the main you know what i mean just like it's just a weird choice all around but like yeah. i could see him doing it i mean obviously he's not gonna do karate but then again having a so Texas Ranger do karate is kind of a strange premise from the beginning. But, but anyway, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's strange. I'm curious. <laughs> I actually think um, of the two, I actually think Jensen Ackles has pretty good acting chops. And I think because I know that he actually was uh, he was on the short list to play Hawkeye huh. um, when Joss Whedon was making his, you know, his casting list. Obviously, they want Brenner, which is a good choice. I like him, too. But um, I could have I could have I could have, you know. So I think I think he's got the chops to be in a movie. Um, a lot of people are clamoring for him to play Bruce Wayne in the Arrowverse since they're kind of honing in that like that's going to happen at some point. And I think DC finally said to the CW Arrowverse, like, you know what? Just do the fuck you want. We don't care anymore because <laughs> like <laughs> we don't really know what we are doing. Exactly. Exactly. So it's which would take us a while to figure out what we did right with Joker. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, which speaking of. The Arrowverse. Now, I will say this. I haven't been watching anything in the CW DC universe for like two plus years. Uh So I don't really know the context for this. (laughs) But what I do know is that starting uh, very soon, I think this week, uh, no, in early December, beginning of December, they are doing the biggest crossover they've done. And it is Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah, I've been hearing that this is happening, too, and I'm just kind of like I'm looking on as I just see like various still shots of uh, just a totally comic book accurate, but also, you know, cheesy CW style like version of the monitor. And I'm like, you glorious bastards. Yeah. (laughs) So this will span. uh, I'm going to run this down for you, Greg. So it's going to span all the shows. Supergirl. The newly started Batwoman, Flash, Arrow, Legends of Tomorrow. Um, not Black Lightning because he's not part of the universe. However, he is showing up in this crossover for the first time. Um, so he, he – nope, I'm not pulling at threads. You just keep going. You just keep going. No, no. Pull, pull some threads. I don't so know if I'm answer. he's not but. in the universe, but now he will be? Well, so like Batman – sorry. The Flash, Arrow, and Legends are all on the same Earth. Fine. Supergirl is in a different Earth, and I think Batwoman is too, but I could be wrong about that. She might be in the same Earth as The Flash and Arrow. Uh, And Black Lightning takes place on a different Earth, but up to this point has not crossed over at all. This will be the first time it will cross over through multiverse shenanigans. All right. In the pre, I know in the previous crossover was called Elseworlds. uh, The Monitor showed up and made some prophecies and blah blah blah. Uh, you know, kind of setting the stage for this. I don't know what happened in that. I didn't watch it. But um, the other thing, the other context here is that Arrow is, this is the end of Arrow. Arrow is ending in January for good. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's going to be three spinoffs, but uh, the Arrow character as we know it is ending, which is, you know, once again, probably two or three seasons too long. But anyway, I wanted to go through, but the, the crazy thing about this is they said, okay, they're going to do all this crazy stuff. They're going to have all these characters from the shows, which is fine. That's what they usually do. But then they started going, but we're going to pull in other people from other things, other uh-huh. DC-related things. So I wanted to go through a couple of them with you, Greg. 
and see what you think. Now, are these th- things that are confirmed or just things that y- you want to see? These are things that have been confirmed. Okay. And one or two that are like specially confirmed. But uh, yeah, so based on some context and some things. So this is outside of all the other established DC, CW, Arrowverse characters, um, which include all kinds of crazy people at this point, uh, including like, last, uh, you know, elongated man. And now we're going to have an anti-monitor and Tom Cavanaugh is playing three characters in the show now. Uh, yeah, it just keeps going and going, but I'm going to go from least crazy to most crazy. Great. Okay. So people clamored. So, uh, John Wesley ship has been on the show a lot and he usually plays, um, wow. What am I blanking on the original flash's name? Barry Allen. No, 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 the old one with the shiny disc cap. Mm, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, he plays that. that guy. He also played Barry Allen's dad, uh, Jay Garrick. Yes, that's his name. Um, but he also has played, I think, in the Elseworlds crossover, he played the Flash character from the 1990, I think 1990 live action show for which he is great. Most famous. So he'll be doing that again. Then they, someone mentioned Smallville and it's been confirmed that the people who played Clark Kent and, uh, Lois Lane from Smallville are in this. But not the one from the cult. The cult? Oh. Oh, yes. I know what you're talking about. Yes. No, not that one. <laughs> not that person. Not that one. Whose name I can't remember. Um. Then they said, remember that Birds of Prey show that Did was that on? Did that come out? It, it, was, it was from like the late, the early 2000s, I think. Oh, so, yeah. Sure. Yep. Yeah. It uh, didn't last. No, it didn't last. It was 2002. It was on WB. Um, yeah, a couple of those per- people are going to show up for sure, some reason. Uh, then they're like, you know, Kevin Conroy, let's just have him fucking play Bruce Wayne in a live action. So Kevin Conroy being for, for those of you out there who, who with some semblance of a normalcy left in your life, he was the voice of Batman in the animated series and also recently in the Arkham video games. Yes. Uh, all right. I'm, I'm, I'm into that. I'm, I'm, I stand behind that. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, and then they're like, you know that Lucifer show? Technically a DC show, so throw him into. That, that's that's an unconfirmed one, but like he was on I mean, set or something. So, and then the one that really takes the cake for me, top of all this stuff, fucking Burt Ward, what? aka Robin from the nineteen sixties Batman, is in this crossover. What? <laughs> I I w- I assume as playing some version of Robin. I, we can only assume. We don't I mean, really if you know. Do, if, if you're going to bring him in now, right? Not just as a, a, a cute little cameo. He's somebody's uncle. And at some point he says like, holy smokes or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you no, know, you don't bring him in at this point unless he's going to play some aging Dick Grayson. I have no idea. Uh, oh, I missed one. Sorry, I forgot. Oh, good. Um, Brandon Ruth, you know, Ralph, Ralph. Yep. Sure. Uh, he's he's been in there versus playing Ray Palmer, a.k.a. the Adam. Or I guess they just call him Adam. I don't know. But anyway, he's actually leaving soon. But they said, you know what? He played Superman once. Let's have him play Superman again. Except this version of Superman is the Kingdom Come Superman. And we're going to act as if it's a direct sequel to like that. Whatever Earth he comes from is going to be the Earth from the Superman movies, which that movie is. I think it's supposed to be a sequel to what Superman one and two was the idea behind it. Superman Returns. Um, I the believe. Brandon Routh. Yes, correct. Yeah. So 
and they, they've shown him in costume and it looks pretty good. Uh, so yeah, fucking bonkers, man. Yeah. I mean, good for them. Good for them for leaning into the bullshit ass bullshit of this thing. Yeah. I mean, we should have, I'm counting by my list, three Superman, not, if not four, we're going to have an old Batman, an old Robin. Yeah. It's just, it's just really weird. And Fine. I, I want to watch it, but I'm also like, I'm just like going to be so not aware of the context of everything else. Am I going to be able to follow it? But um, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be bonkers and nutty. You don't need to, sorry, <laughs> it's, it's going to be a mess. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but anyway, so that's that. I just think it's, I just think I agree with you. I, it's just like good for them for just like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just let's do lean in. Let's lean in. This is the biggest thing we'll probably ever do. So I think that, I don't know. I mean, they keep talking about more shows they're going to add because they're saying that this is the other thing I was mad about, Greg. So, you know, before when I ranted about DC's choices to make things about not their characters. Yeah. Uh, for reference, just like, let's make. You know, they're talking about making a sh- like I made this Krypton show and the Gotham show. And it's like, just make a goddamn Batman show. It's not yes. that hard. Anyway, they've announced that they're pursuing based off the Supergirl show because Superman is in that show. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're making a CW show with Superman. And I think they're going to call it Superman Lois Lane or, or Clark Kent Lois Lane, something like that. And it's just like, why do you I mean, I'm happy to have Supergirl. She's cool. But like, why do you do that in the first place? Like, or just make I don't know. It just seems like. This is just all over the place. And now they're going to introduce Batman. And it's like, we're working our way. Why backwards didn't we start what, here? Yeah, right. Exactly. So it's just a strange, a strange choice. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I know that the contracts for these characters get very, very complicated. And there's all kinds of weird little provisions. Like, as an example, I was reading a little bit of uh, Watchmen history. Um, and more so, you know, in the context of, you know, kind of like Alan Moore and like his history of dissociating himself from adaptations. And so the history of it is that um, at first when Alan Moore was planning Watchmen, he was planning to use these recently acquired characters that already existed um, from, I think, Charleston Comics or something. Some like old Silver Age heroes that DC had bought and he wanted to use them. But DC was like, uh, no, we want to put them in weird crisis on infinite earths. So, you know, <laughs> so he ended up having to create his own characters for this. Um, and as they were working out the contract, um, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons basically said, we don't want to do a standard work for hire comic book contract where essentially I write the comic books for you. You pay me. You now own the content um, and you can do whatever you want with it. Their deal was because of the way the comic book uh, market worked at the time, once Watchmen was no longer profitable for DC, the rights would revert back to Moore and Gibbons. Um, And because of the way the comic industry worked right then, um, essentially comics would get published for their monthly edition and then that was it. There were no like collected editions and hardcover editions and that that didn't really start until Watchmen. <laughs> it was like <laughs> it was like Watchmen and I think maybe um Dark Knight Returns, which both kind of hit around the same time, where all of a sudden they were like they got collected into these bigger editions and sold in bookstores as opposed to comic shops. So all of a sudden the comic book industry realized that there was a way to keep making money on these things with the right book after the fact. Um 
So Watchmen basically never stopped being profitable for DC. Um, So the rights have remained in DC's hands. And one could argue that maybe one of the reasons that um, ever since the Zack Snyder movie, DC has been coming up with more and more contrived ways of bringing Watchmen characters into things like they did a prequel series mm-hmm. and they did the doomsday clock thing where it started to cross over with the regular DC universe. I think that's still happening. Yeah, I think it is, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So essentially what they're, what they might be doing is just saying like, we need to get something out that will make money so that we can retain the rights. We just have to get something out every year or whatever it is. Um, in the same way that, like, remember when, like, sci-fi aired that weird Wheel of Time oh, yes. promo at, like, one fifteen in the morning with no announcement or whatever? The Red Eagle basically, like, thing. This, this is the only way we can retain the rights to this is if we... Um, so I wonder if there was something about, like, well, we can't make a Batman TV show because of the way the rights are structured, and we can't do it until certain other thresholds have been crossed. Yeah. Like, it could be that the... DC, the central DC organization said, we're not going to let you use our marquee characters until you have proven certain things to us from a business perspective, because we don't want you screwing up Batman with your dumb shows. Mm, I think that so from what I it, it could be right. And I mean, I know there's a lot of meddling from central DC because I know that it's no it's not a secret that so on Arrow, like, Suicide Squad was, like, a reoccurring plot thread, Mm -hmm. as was Deathstroke. And at some Mm -hmm. point, they basically said, like, you can't use these characters anymore. So they very quickly, like, effectively wrote them off the shows. Um, Particularly, um, uh, why am I blanking on the guy that Will Smith played? Deadshot. Deadshot, thank you. I just like my I just like Deathstroke, Deathstroke. I'm like, no, the other one. <laughs> um, yeah, so like they like killed him, and they wanted to use Harley Quinn, and they like kind of showed her in a prison, but then they were like, oh, absolutely not, you can't use her. And then Deathstroke had been like one of the most popular characters in the show, and they're like, and he was around for a little bit, and they're like, nope, you can't use him. So he was just like stuck in prison, and then they. I guess they got the flash in under the wire. Like, I think that had happened before some like the the, the big. This is all kind of happening right when like Batman vs Superman was coming yeah. out and then Justice League and they're trying to build this big universe and Suicide Squad. And I think they had this idea that like people are too stupid to understand these are different things. Yep. Therefore, we must isolate them entirely. That was. And you, yeah. And you can only use these characters and not those characters. And then I think. As those start, other things started to fail, and the DCCW universe is still sticking around. It seems like they've loosened up a great deal. Uh, yeah, as well I, as maybe with the introduction of like the DC streaming stuff. I think that's right. That I think it's it's probably more linked to over time they've learned that having multiple different Batman storylines and actors playing Batman and all this stuff all happening at once, like none of that is hurting the other stuff that people are capable of looking at these things independently. So you don't need to be as precious with any particular one. Also, it might be something along the lines of, like you said, like everything's kind of a lot of things are failing. So they're maybe just thinking like, ah, who cares at this point? Let's get it all out there and and see what works because, you know, um, our big movie uh, franchise did not work. So whatever. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. It's definitely, uh, I think that if, in my opinion, it seems like these things would only help each other, right? Like people, you know, Marvel has shown us that people are smart enough that to know these things and can follow it and know what's going on and not be nervous of like, oh, it's yeah. not perfectly connected or whatever. So if anything, having a version of Deathstroke on one show and then having a Deathstroke movie or in a movie or whatever, uh, it's fine. Like it's going to be it's only going to drive traffic towards those two things separately. Right. Right. Uh, if that's the way you want to view it. Um, weirdly enough, though, did you see the casting stuff for Batman as off topic? But they yeah. keep casting people. And I'm like, how many people are in this movie? You're making me nervous. I am getting very nervous about the number of people that are in this movie because in the past when we've had Batman movies where they keep cramming more villains in, it's not gone great. Yeah. Um, Although I will say Matthew McConaughey as Two-Face is very good casting in my whoa, opinion. I hadn't heard that. Yep. <laughs> um, woof. Woof. Um, That's on top of Catwoman and Riddler and... So Catwoman is... I said Zoe Kravitz. Yes. Zoe Kravitz is Catwoman. Paul Dano as Riddler. Mm-hmm. Colin Farrell as Penguin. Correct. Now McConaughey is Two-Face. Um, Hachimachi. Um, and who's that- Alfred? Oh, Andy Serkis. Yeah, that is such a weird... Because f- when they announced... This is great. They, cause they announced the uh, Andy Serkis and Colin Farrell casting on the same day. And everyone's like, it's the other way around, right? Yeah. Like, you guys have clearly got this wrong. <laughs> right, and it's like, nope. And it's like... Okay, so I have no idea what they're doing here. Um, what I my hope is that a lot of these are essentially cameos, potentially potentially as a setup for a bigger role down the line. Like I could really imagine like a um, like a montage, you know, or some flashbacks where our Batman is, you know, dealing with, you know, like we're seeing him fight previous villains and it would be kind of cool if they were like they were played by like heavy hitter actors. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it would make everything feel more real and built out if you felt like, oh, maybe, you know, like that this has a real history to it. Or if you're just encountering them in Arkham or, you know, he's on the trail of of the movie's real villain and he has to go to Arkham and interrogate Two-Face. And it happens to be Matthew McConaughey. That seems cool to me if that's what they're doing. Yeah, that seems cool to me, too. It kind of reminds me of kind of what they tried to do with. um, I don't remember what they're fucking called, but like the old team from Guardians and Guardians 2 with Sylvester Stallone. Exactly. Yeah. The original Guardians. And they're all vaguely famous people. Yeah. Um, And and like I like I think what a lot of people like about Batman, you know, in the show and in in the classic cartoon, the the games like that feeling of a very full world and all these pretty strong maybe not strong but at least iconic characters and sometimes batman is not always just like directly going up against them but like you said he has to go interrogate him or like right. bumps into him or whatever what i'm confused about is from what matt reese initially said about this movie it was going to be like early in his career and very grounded and more detective batman and it seems, seems like oh i guess we're not doing that anymore or are we i mean these are all fairly grounded characters compared to you know villains compared to some other ones although i'm still waiting for the fucking just like and so and so is playing the joker just because i don't know i just feel like it i feel like well, a sinking feeling i, in my I stomach. think i know i think i know if, if they're gonna include the joker i think i know what they've been waiting on mm. which is you know how successful <laughs> um you know 
how successful was the Joker movie and, you know, how much is it going to cost us to squeeze Joaquin Phoenix in? Yeah, I hope they don't do that. But again, uh, if it's a if it's a cameo, fine. I like the idea that we can see a Batman, you know, universe that is fully populated um, with these villains, but none of them feel like, oh, oh, I think I saw that guy on CSI once, you know, like, <laughs> like yeah. it, 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 that could be neat. Um, it almost has that feeling of like um, kind of like Endgame. Or or like the later Fast and the Furious movies where you're like, every person on screen is a superstar. Yeah, <laughs> you know that's what I true. mean? Like there's something neat about that and it feels richer. So if that's what they're doing, cool. But I swear to God, if it's a bunch of them, like all the bad, guy, bad guys like plotting to steal the president's bones from a submarine, like hideout, I'm, I'm going to be pretty upset. Yeah, um, I'm curious, but we'll see. Uh, Matthew McConaughey is Two-Face. I, I saw that and I was like, I never thought of that, but I love it. Yeah, I mean, that's not bad because he definitely like I've seen enough Matthew McConaughey courtroom dramas from the 90s <laughs> <laughs> to be like, yes, Matthew McConaughey could be a district attorney. Um, Yeah, Um. But also the last thing I saw Matthew McConaughey in was The Dark Tower. So I'm not sure how I feel. Yeah, I'm sure you have some clutching feelings <laughs> right now. <laughs> All uh, right. Yeah. Man. Sorry, I threw that one. I no, thought you would have saw that. that's a surprise. I, I'm just trying to think of like if it wasn't the if it wasn't Two-Face, who would I who would I have Matthew McConaughey play in my Batman movie? It it I'm pretty sure it's Two-Face. <laughs> I also would have never, if you would have signed me up and said, okay, or signed me down and said, all right, who's Colin Farrell going to play? I don't think I would have picked the Penguin, but. You know, I, when I heard it, I was like, all right, yeah, let's see where you're going with this. Because Colin Farrell's been making some weird choices lately, and I like them. Um, but yeah, I don't know if the Penguin would have been my first pick. Yeah. Um, and, and Andy Serkis offered is going to be different. Yeah. I mean, at least we're doing something different. That's cool. Like, yeah, I've seen, look, I honestly, I've seen Batman done essentially the same way so many times. Like, yeah, let's get weird with it. Who gives a shit? <laughs> the world's burning. <laughs> You're not wrong. Uh, cool. So, Greg, have you, uh, you pulled the trigger on Death Stranding yet? Oh, man, this is tough. I mean, we've been talking about this. I've been talking about this. I've been thinking about this. Death Stranding, the new Hideo Kojima game on PS4 came out uh, on Friday. I have not yet bought Death Stranding. I've been saying I'm going to buy Death Stranding. I've been talking about it like it's a foregone conclusion because I love Hideo Kojima's work. And this one looks bonkers. And this is the first game where he is untethered from a major studio contract. He's got his own studio. Um, he's untethered from any existing uh, game franchise. So, you know, completely blank slate. And having followed his career, you know he's going to get weird with it. So I'm like, yeah, okay. And they just keep releasing trailers that don't show you anything of what the game is. <laughs> like, it's just getting more and more cryptic and weird. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, sign me up. Um, And then the review bargo came up on, like, Tuesday of last week. And I was not hearing what I wanted to hear. Like, I don't mind if a game is divisive. A lot of times that that's a good sign to me because that a game or a movie or anything it's divisive to me that means it's 
that's a good signal that it's like taking some chances and taking some risks um and and thus alienating some people so it's like okay re- mixed reviews but the problem was was that the people the reviewers who i like generally tend to like oh i agree with this person we tend to like the same things for the same reasons so the reviewers i trust they were starting to be like uh this game just it doesn't really it doesn't really come together and i was like oh that's disappointing and they're say, basically saying all the things that i wanted from death stranding like a really bizarre but somewhat meaningful story and um you know gameplay that was you know exciting to play they're like yeah it's not really there the story just feels like a bunch of cutscenes that are kind of crammed in and poorly paced and then you just go long stretches of time where you're just kind of doing missions and then you get another cutscene and I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound like what I wanted. And it turns out the gameplay is you're just delivering packages around kind of a like post-apocalyptic America on foot. So most of the game is just navigating terrain, which sounds like the parts of Red Dead Redemption 2 that I hated because that game was, oh, yeah, we don't really have fast travel. You just have to ride your horse all around the map to get from place to place. And our scenery is really beautiful. I've got a great camera system that makes sure it's really fun to watch you ride this horse. But I was like, after a couple hours of that, you're like, okay, I just want to play the game, though. So it doesn't sound like a game I want to play. So I haven't bought it yet. Although every time I've got about two hours to myself, I'm like, I might pick up Death Stranding. Um, But I'm going to wait. That's what I'm telling myself. I'm going to wait until... um, we get a little closer to the Christmas holiday because one, there might be a sale and, you know, saving a couple bucks on a game I'm not 100% on, fine. Um, and I'm also going to have a lot more time off to play because a lot of the reviews say like the first 10 hours are kind of a slog. And I'm like, oh, God, I don't know if I can do that, <laughs> but if I'm going to do it. It's going to be over Christmas break when, you know, I've got more time. Um, and I'm also just going to kind of wait and see if this is one of those games that where the critical consensus kind of evolves over time, as people kind of sit with it a little bit longer, play it a little bit longer. Um, I remember that the early reviews of Dark Souls were kind of that way, where it, like, it kind of took a while for people to kind of get it and then be able to express in the reviews, like, you know, once I've been playing this for a while, like, I kind of see what it's getting at, and now I'm going to, you know, and my mind has changed. So I'm just going to kind of wait and, you know, look, maybe throw it on a Christmas list or two, uh, maybe help out some relatives who don't know what to buy their, <laughs> you know, almost 40 year old uh, son-in-law, um, maybe make this easy for them. So I don't know, but it's weird, man. I just don't know who I am anymore. I'm like waiting for a sale on the surrealist Hideo Kojima game. Ugh, I don't know. I'm sorry, Greg. It's OK. I mean, you know, look, uh, death comes for us all. But is it stranding? I don't, yeah, yeah, I can't even get into it what that's supposed to mean <laughs> but like anything Hideo Kojima it mean, it's gonna end up meaning six different things over the course of the game because he writes everything as he goes and never goes back and edits always the best strategy yeah as we learned from Eva yeah well I'm sorry I hope that it turns out to be worthwhile and so they look interesting and weird which are two things you like so uh i hope that you said it's just a sleeper for people yeah maybe maybe not or maybe you know maybe he just never really made any good games who knows no he made a lot of good games but um it's also possible that like there are certain artists who make their best work when they have constraints um and then when they finally get to run the show themselves it just comes out a mess because 
Um, you know, if they have, for example, like if they have budgetary constraints, deadline constraints, they have to be more focused, for example. So they can't, you know, cram as much weird shit into the game. It doesn't really add anything. It's just a weird idea they had and they put it on the whiteboard and ah, fine. Here it goes. Um, so maybe that's the case. Um, I mean, Kojima, for example, invented the stealth genre because uh, when with the very first Metal Gear game, because um, his his contract was to make a military action game, but the uh, the MSX uh, console at the time could only render two or three sprites on the screen at once. <laughs> so he had to develop a like a um, an action game, like a military action game where you couldn't have a bunch of bad guys on the screen. So he thought, well, what if it's not you're running around and just shooting everybody? What if it's more about you have to sneak past the guards and sneak your way into things? He invented the stealth genre because he had these technical constraints. Mm. Yeah, and he had I mean, the this theory is of, what we call the George Lucas. Yeah, he had the constraints conundrum. of Konami telling him, this is the kind of game you have to make. And he had the technical constraints of, sorry, we can only do so much. And he made it work. But now it's like he's got a huge budget. He's got he doesn't have the timeline pressure. He doesn't have all these things. So maybe he just goes a little crazy and ends up making a worse game for it. It's possible. I hope not for your sake. I don't like when people you like make things you don't like. Kill your idols, man. Burn the past, right? Yeah. You want to talk about some uh, Watchmen? Yeah, I think we can talk about Watchmen. All right. So Greg, this will you wrote be... a lot of stuff here. Oh, I did. Um, yeah, it's funny. Um, this morning we were, you know, chatting and it was like, and I was like, yeah, got some thoughts. Got some thoughts about episode four here. Um, but I don't know. I think I'm going to save them for tonight. And then all of a sudden I just brain dumped a page and a half of notes. No, two and a half pages of notes yep. about this show. Um, which is weird because I came out of this episode feeling some lost vibes, you know, Damon Lindelof's other show lost, which, um, is a garbage show for dum-dums. Uh, and I started to feel like, cause one of the things when you kind of started to see the seams in lost, you were like, oh, I see their trick. Their trick is to just kind of fuss around for like 55 minutes. And then in the last five minutes, throw a bunch of more cryptic stuff at you. Um, and then you walk away from the episode like, whoa, what crazy mysteries. And the world of the show just got so much bigger. Whoa. But then you take a, step, a couple steps back and you say, wait a minute, that's the same shit they did last episode and they never came back to that stuff. And that's what they did the episode before. And they never came back to that stuff. It almost seems like all they're doing, all they know how to do is the big final five minute mind blow reveal and then and then just kind of hope you forget about it in the week that follows and i was kind of worrying that watchman was doing that to us i never watched lost so i can't comment on that smart move i'm gonna, I'm gonna keep it that way i think uh i i left the episode feeling pretty pretty good but concerned at the pacing yeah uh, I, yeah, that that that's pretty much where I fell out. It's like I'm starting to yeah, because um, like I really enjoyed the episode itself. A mm-hmm. lot of cool stuff's going on. I you know it keeps getting weirder and grosser, which is fine. Uh, I'm just like one episode four of nine, and it's not that I feel like anything is a waste of time. It's just that 
I don't know where the priorities are. Exactly. And I'm unsure of how they're going to check all these boxes in five episodes, especially to given the context that Lindenloft said that this is self-contained. This is self-contained. I don't I made this for one season as a sequel to Watchmen with no other intentions. You know, I mean, I assume if this is successful, HBO will probably just move on without him. Uh, as he said, he wouldn't do another season, which is fine, which is the right way to approach this, probably. So, I mean, if they said if they didn't say that, if they said, like, we're just going to start a Watchmen TV show and it might be as long as Game of Thrones, I'd be like, OK, well, some of these might just be things to worry about later. Uh, do you want to read off the list of questions <laughs> that we have? Well, I mean, for, first, I, I think, yeah, it's 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 the pacing thing. Because it's like, I'm starting to ask, what are we doing here? What is, because it doesn't seem like we're all that interested in solving the murder of Judd. Because we haven't really been following that in the show for essentially two episodes now. It's kind of been like kind of the inciting incident of the plot, but it hasn't like, hasn't really been central to what's been going on. We haven't been any real new revelations in the case. I don't really, as a viewer, I don't really care who killed him because it doesn't seem like that person is putting any of our other characters who I do care about in danger. Mm-hmm. Um, it just kind of seems kind of low stakes. Um, and then, like, there's kind of some mystery, like mysterious people doing mysterious things. But there's no real sense of and it's very on the nose, but a ticking clock. Huh. Right. If you look at the original comic, there is at the at the outset, as we're starting to unpack the mystery, there is clearly there. Well, there there is a a potential serial killer of costumed heroes on the loose. So that creates some tension and some forward movement. Right. Nobody wants to get serial killed. So there's that. Plus, there's also the looming threat in kind of the background of we're getting close to a nuclear war. And that's kind of happening in like the political background of the show. And then as it goes on, you realize like there might be a larger conspiracy afoot that, you know, might have bigger implications, et cetera, et cetera. So there was always kind of something keeping you coming back and like, you know, making you feel like these characters need to be saved and this world needs to be saved. I am not getting that sense in this show. Nobody no. really seems in danger. No, I, I feel the same way. And I feel like, I don't know, they, they, they kind of like had me at first with the murder. Mm-hmm. And then when they expanded the show, which, I, which I'm enjoying, it put the murder on the back seat. And now, I mean, I'm just not seeing everything's connected. And I think it is. Obviously, it is because, you know, in this episode, we got sort of, and I think we'll get, I'm hoping we'll get there because we got introduced to um, Lady True. Lady True. Uh, who was a really fucked up opening scene. Yeah. Um, that was interesting. I, I mean, I was a, a, I really enjoyed that whole setup, but um, not enjoyed it, but, you know, I thought it was clever. And, you know, she's a weirdo, which is good. She also is up to something, obviously. Uh, I think that, you know, the big reveal at the end is sort of that, you know, her and Will are working together. Yeah. And I'm hoping that, you know, something the ticking clock will be something related to her and that big clock they're making. Yeah. Ha, another ticking. God damn it. Um, <laughs> because otherwise, and like me, there's a lot of stuff going on. They just need to pull the pieces together a little bit more to give us a solid rest of the show because I need to know what we're doing. Yeah. It just feels like right now I'm just seeing a world where 
I don't know, various shadowy people are up to shadowy things. <laughs> like, alright. Great. Okay. I, I don't really... Um, and it seems... It almost seems indulgent of like, ooh, you know... Um, this is just, look how many mysteries and mysterious things we can cram in here. And, um, it does some things that I really hate. And I think we've talked about this plenty of times, but like, and it was especially apparent in this, in the final scene there with Lady True and Will, where like, they're talking to each other in a way where they're talking around what they would be really talking about. You know, uh-huh. they're only talking in this way because they know the camera's there. <laughs> right. Like that's, you know, it's like, oh yes. Well, when... When the world sees the next part of your secret plan, you're just like, that's not how, you know, like it just and that it ugh, I don't like that. Um, But yeah, I just I don't know what we're doing here anymore. And all this stuff is like interesting. And like when I I guess when when it's revealed what they're up to, I'll be like, oh, huh. But yeah, I mean, it doesn't I think really there's like some things it doesn't that like any are coming the, together. But I guess I guess what I'm saying is. Any of the things that they could be up to, I don't care about. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, we need is I think I think if they would have given us a little bit more in this episode of what they're up to, like, okay, so working together. Okay, cool. Why? And what in the world what in the world would bring these two people together? And um would you have some theories about here, which is interesting. Yes. Um I did have a couple things I wanted to lay out. Um part of what part of what you have laid out here as well, but I the second that we saw that that little girl was Lady True's daughter, I was like, that's a clone. Like, yeah. For sure. And then when she had that dream, quote unquote, which is obviously just Lady True's memories um, or perhaps someone related to her, but probably her memories. Um, I was like, yeah, that's definitely a clone. Uh, I'm thinking that. So I read a theory and I mean, I, you know, part of the I probably come to it on my own. But so we know that Osmond Dias is in some kind of imprisonment of some kind. Yes. He says it himself, as though, but we theorized that before. And I think that Dr. Manhattan made this prison for Ozymandias. And then it originally I thought it was on Mars, but given the symbolism, is it looks like it might be on the moon. Hmm. Um, because we do have that hint that the building that Dr. Manhattan was filmed kind of building out of dust on Mars looked a lot like the manor that Ozymandias is in. Mm-hmm. And given that he was he was launching the many many dead bodies of his clo- like clone servants um we'll get there uh into you know almost like a truman show situation yep. right like they yep. like go to the clouds and then they just like disappear so clue this is like a structured reality and clearly from his uh experiments they must be somewhere in space why do you say why do you say that because he was making that suit yep and i think he must have like I'm not sure exactly how, but he must have sent that guy past the whatever barrier and he's trying to make a spacesuit. Yeah. And the guy froze to death. Yep. You know, due to, you know, exposure to vacuum or whatever. And also in the preview next episode, we see him like putting on a suit and possibly getting into that catapult, uh, which seems like a interesting idea. But um, so I think that's maybe what's going on. There's, there's a lot of other possibilities. But that'd be my my guess at this point. And I also do think that uh, my guess for the mystery of the pills and will, and I don't know the connection to true yet, but I think it's more or less confirmed that he's uh, hooded justice because they mentioned this episode that he was a cop in New York in the forties and fifties. It's like, all right, well, yeah, that lines up, that lines up. And I think the pills are going to be some sort of like make you really fucking strong or whatever, you know, like, 
rate Hulk out, you know, I don't know, something like that, uh, which I think we're going to see Angela use at some point, and then she's going to somehow put pieces together. That's my theory so far. So I think that – so where is Ozymandias? I'm not sure. I mean, I think there could be clues that he's in – he's in more of a Matrix-type situation than he is – actually physically somewhere um and he's essentially finding the boundaries of the simulation that to me would explain um the clones in the lake <laughs> situation better mm-hmm. because then and and then also he puts the clones in in some magic spinning microwave and they come out fully grown but all of this isn't like his clones um that all seems to me like that maybe this is this is some kind of simulation um and you know if it, it, it's there's almost something about if you want to lock up the world's smartest man you lock him inside his own brain right mm. that 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 you you're not physically containing him anywhere um so but also i i, I think your hypothesis of he's somewhere he's in a bubble on the moon um is is reasonable um i'm also thinking he might be in the arctic somewhere mm, that could um, be it because that's kind of where we left him in the 80s that's true um in his arctic you know kind of biodome um so there's something there might be something there i i i mean truthfully the the where is he physically is less i think less interesting than why is he there and who, who is keeping him there, him yeah. there because at the end of the comic, if I'm remembering correctly, Dr. Manhattan basically leaves him be kind of in this like you've done all the damage you're going to do. And uh, this thing has kind of, you know, you you've you've already like, you know, I don't need to punish you for this. You're already done kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and this is also Dr. Manhattan, who at that point in the comics had really achieved godhood and could see the future and could move between galaxies um now maybe there is a MacGuffin in there about how you know oh he couldn't see the future as well as he thought he could because of various technical mumbo jumbo i guess tachyons the tachyons and he couldn't see past the uh the squid event because of timey-wimey stuff which is fine but if dr manhattan knew that it wouldn't be dr manhattan who's like i'm gonna lock you up in a secret prison because he wouldn't have felt the need to do that um that's true but also, but if it's not Dr. Manhattan or, well, really anyone, if they're like, Adrian Veidt, you are a threat to the world, it just seems weird. Like, why would I lock you up in some crazy fantasy prison versus just, I don't know, putting a bullet in your head? Right. Um, you know, if if Lady True is behind it and we get the sense that, you know, she's she's the new all-powerful billionaire, like, she could have a dude smoked if she needed to. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. It, it's it's I'm not really sure where we're going with this um, and how that and the connection between him and her, uh, Ozymandias and Lady True, is perplexing to me. Mm-hmm. And I know they want us to be thinking about it. Um, also, I like how they I don't like how they're like made her like, no, she's like, no, no, I'm a trillionaire. It's like, you know, how much money that is like, it's, I mean, I guess theoretically in this different world, it's possible. But like, Jesus Christ, that's a lot of money. Uh, yeah. So I was, I was thinking about this the other day because I was reading something that was, you know, totally not politically oriented that was basically just like, here's what a million dollars in cash looks like. Mm-hmm. Here's what a billion dollars in cash looks like. And 
people sometimes forget the scale difference of that. Oh yeah, no, it's 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 one of the great it's one of the great mistakes in our language that million and billion are uh, just one letter apart from each other. Yeah, when really a billion is a million million, <laughs> and um, no, it's not as a thousand million, but um, uh, yeah, like somebody was talking about um, something like if Bill Gates has one hundred nine billion dollars. If we took a hundred billion away, he could still buy a six million dollar home every day for ten years. <laughs> Seems good. Yeah, um, it's something something like that. But anyway, um, yeah. No, I, th- I mean, she's a trillionaire. She's and now she essentially has rich rich people superpowers, which we see now in in movies. Just like right. ah, she can do whatever she wants. She has all the money. Um, but I do think that they're trying to set up. So I think I do think the daughter is a clone who they're giving memories to in an IV. Um, but I also think that the lady true that we're seeing, I think she is not the f- I think she is the clone host of someone older because the memories that the um, that the daughter was talking about, those sound a lot like like Vietnam War era things. Right. Yeah. Which does not match up for how old we, I mean, Lady True looks like she's maybe 40 tops. Mm -hmm. So that just doesn't add up. You know, she would, so then she would have been born in the late seventies, early eighties. So she wouldn't have had any of those memories, especially not in the world of Watchmen where post-Vietnam War, Vietnam becomes, you know, a state of, you know, an American state. So I'm thinking that the lady true we are seeing is actually a second or third generation host of someone else. And I did a little digging into the Watchmen wiki and I couldn't find any direct people who might be like, you know, that that was referenced in like, you know, some of the Watchmen apocrypha. Um, I, I didn't get a sense of like, Oh, that's clearly the silhouette or anything like that. Um, although, yeah, so I don't know where they're going with it. I'm interested. Again, it's that thing I'm like, I'm interested in all the mysteries, but I want the show to be giving me something to think about just beyond its world building. And the fact that it's just choosing to drip feed the world building, right? Like, that's not necessarily great storytelling. They're just slowly revealing the world. And, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like if we can connect a couple of the mysteries a little better which i think maybe this episode should have done you know we're like we have all these floating mysteries and then we could be doing that but also like ostensibly the show seemed like it wanted to say something about race we've kind of (laughs) moved a little away from that for a little while um i mean there's definitely something here about family and self and lineage and you know legacy because you've got angel learning about her family and you know there was always there was already a lot of like f- family emotional baggage with you know uh, Laurie's story with her father and mother. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely something here with that as well. Uh, so I I yeah I don't know so I don't know. I want to see how that connects because I could see that I could see them connecting the ideas of lineage and legacy to American racism and telling a story about the inheritance of our racist past. That would be an angle and would be fine. I'm a little worried, though, about um, 
the angle they're taking that, and I don't know if that's just one of the themes of this episode or if it's something they're going to continue to lean into as we go, but this idea of lineage and legacy and the conversation that Laurie and Angela have where Laurie says the mask, you, you wear a mask, you become a hero because of childhood trauma and essentially, a, you know, childhood abandonment issues, which seems fine. But then when I compare that to the message about heroism, the thesis of heroism from the original, I don't like the comparison. So if the thesis of the new one is you become a hero because you are making up for some injustice you felt you suffered as a child, right? If that's the thesis of the of the new show, the thesis of heroism in the original Watchmen was more all these people want to be heroes, but their motivations are inherently political and not political in like the capital P like Republicans versus Democrats. But they're all all the heroes, except the comedian, are out for justice, but they all have very different ideas about what constitutes justice and what the job of a hero is. Right. Mm -hmm. Rorschach has a much more black and white, almost biblical conception of right and wrong. Um, Night Owl had it, it's more of a sense of justice of um, a little kinder, gentler, helping people kind of feeling, um, you know, Dr. Manhattan had a very strange, you know, inhuman sense of right and wrong and justice. Um, Ozymandias being the absolute like here, we're going to bang you over the head with the idea of he's going to save the world by killing three million people and lying to the world. Right. Mm -hmm. Um and so it's really about what drives you to heroism is a sense of justice. But what's scary about that is everybody's got a different sense of justice. If this is what drives you to heroism is daddy issues, that feels fucking weak. Yeah. Like, what I'm is that saying? I'm hoping that that was just Laurie's perspective. Yes. And me too. possibly what I mean, that could have been what drove her to do it. And I'm hoping that it's just like that's one that's a perspective you could take. When viewing superheroes or vigilantes or whatever you want to call them in this context. Um, but not hopefully not like the definitive thesis of the show. Uh, yes, I, I hope I hope so. I, I, unless there is a chance that if they are somehow setting this up as a way to critique the over-reliance on daddy issues in comics and superhero media in general. I'm okay with that, but I also feel like we've got five episodes left. I don't know yeah. how much more development of themes we can do. Yeah, I don't know if we can have I mean, any twists there. You could also look maybe some sort of like cycle of trauma and abuse things. Like if Will was hooded justice and, you know, he, you know, he had a traumatic past and then down the line, Angela is the same thing. I, I'm not, there might be something there as well. I'm not curious. I have another theory though. Mm -hmm. I kind of think this clock is like this, what, what do they call it? The, the millennium clock. Millennium clock. I kind of feel like it, I think it might have something to do with Dr. Manhattan. Oh, for sure. And I think it might have something to do with like, I wonder if you know they're going to try and utilize some of these of the mechanistic mechanistic things that Adrian Veidt used, you know, tachyons and whatever to like fuck with Dr. Manhattan. And maybe Troy is going to try and Troy is going to try and capture him, destroy him. For, I don't know. Something I just feel like it's he is. This is a direct connection to that. And I'm not sure what that has to do with Laurie and Angela and the murder and all these kind of things. But um I'm not sure. I wonder if maybe, maybe there's something that like they're trying to destabilize something 
to get Dr. Manhattan to show up. I don't know. I'm just yeah, like, that's what I'm that's what I'm missing is that um, it's the world of the show is not a perfect world. Right. Racism is still rampant, um, but it doesn't it's not a world that seems hopelessly broken or, or not necessarily hopelessly broken, but like a world that needs saving the way that the world of the original comics did that seemed like a world that was on the brink the and the, the the comics made a big point of the world being on the brink the cover of almost every issue uh was a clock that was counting down to midnight right um i don't get the sense that this is the world that's on on the brink yeah i mean there's some terrorists in tulsa but that seems like a solvable problem yeah you know it doesn't seem like those guys the the seventh cavalry don't seem all that dangerous it just seems like in about two weeks the fbi could have this problem solved you know for sure they're not an existential threat to anybody um and yeah there's like some some political unrest in america but things seem pretty stable you know um there there's no sense that there's any international strife or anything like that i so what is the millennium clock going to do i mean there is some connection between true and dr manhattan because she's responsible for the phone booths that can supposedly can communicate with him uh, that's a good point um I, okay so I'll, I'll put it this way we damn well better get a little more clarity in the next episode but i'm concerned because the preview made it seem a it like looks like a very looking glass focused episode yep. which in theory i'm cool with because he's weird and i love him but not what we need to be doing right now right i kind of that's that's kind of where i fell out i was like awesome i really like that character and i'm really interested to 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 spend more time with him but i'm also like okay we took a big hit to the pacing of this show when we did our laurie episode and i was like that's forgivable because she really was disconnected to the action so far so we need more setup for her and giving her a big like a whole episode to kind of develop is fine okay now let's get back into it oh we're not we're going to spend a bunch of time now developing as much of Lady True as we can. OK, great. We've and adding to the list of mysteries. And if that's what we're doing next week, it's like, OK, are we ever going to get back to whatever the plot is supposed to be here? Um, Yeah. But let's talk about that list of mysteries that they just keep adding on to. Sure. Um, in no particular order. Who was the silver running vigilante? I mean, I think it's pretty obvious they were setting that up to be that skinny FBI agent. Um, but I don't really care. Um, what was Cal, Angela's husband? They mentioned his accident in Vietnam. Why? I don't need to spend more time of the show understanding what that was. Um, who was Angela's mom? They intentionally blacked that out when she was looking at the family tree. Um, her visit to the cultural center was set up by a voicemail message about an additional descendant for Will, which is what I thought we were going to the cultural center to find out about, but nope. Um, why are there so many connections to Vietnam? It, you know, um, it, what does that have to, why? Well, um, what's the, what's the message there? Um, what was that meteor that fell right before the credits? Um, what about those pills in Will's or uh, Angela's car from Will. Uh, you do you have more on the list? Uh, in the past 10 seconds, I've come up with uh, <laughs> what's up with Night Owl because they did a lot of imagery and brought him up. So got me thinking about him. 
Um, maybe in jail from the sounds of it, but like why and how? Uh, what is the Millennium Clock? What is Dr. Manhattan's role in all of this? Because it seems like they keep talking about him and bringing him up a lot. Uh, what's Lady True's motivations and desires? What's Will's motivations and desires? Squids? <laughs> uh, and what's going on with Ozymandias? Yeah. And and I, the point of this list is not is, is just that we're reach we are when we get to the 30 minute mark of next week's episode we will be halfway through this show and we just seem to be adding on a bunch of little mysteries that are honestly probably inconsequential and i feel like they're just throwing that out because it's like ooh our world is so detailed and full of history and little secrets and it feels like a dodge. It feels like they're just it's smoke and mirrors to distract us from like, oh, maybe this doesn't have much of a plot, you know, or and again, that's why I keep coming back to Lost. Like they just keep throwing out little little teases, and little glimpses of greater mysteries that at the end of the day had nothing to do with anything. But they were just there to keep you interested and distract you from the fact that like, yeah, we don't know where this is going. I mean, this show knows where it's going because it's already shot and done with. But um, yeah, like when that thing about Cal's accident in Vietnam, I'm like, he's a secondary character. He, if not a tertiary character, he does not matter in the plot. We do not need to know about his his past and how his accident was probably a suicide attempt. Like, we don't need to know any of that. It's not helpful. I don't need to spend 10 minutes on it in some episode, you know, far away from now. Like, I, 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 I need this show to give me reasons to care about what's going on in it. And it's not doing a great job of that right now. No. And uh, I'm worried that it's not slight worry that it's not going to check all those boxes for us. I mean, I feel like a lot of these questions can be answered deftly, like with a deft hand. If you have a cohesive plot that everything's tying together in a certain way, Um, given this guy's history, I'm nervous for that. But Mm -hmm. uh, it's totally salvageable. Let me put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that in the. In the final review, at some point you're going to say something like it slows down a little bit in the middle <laughs> and then it gets good again. I mean, I, I, at this point, I'm not going to say that it slows down. I just because I really was engaged and I thought this episode was, yeah. was good. And like we did it. It wasn't a slow episode in a kind of conventional sense, like the Marvel Netflix show slow down in the middle. Like stuff happened. We learned stuff. But like it's all new stuff, not not advance any questions we already had. Exactly. That's and, uh, yeah. That's so my, in, in yeah. the broader scope, if it does come back and wrap around and pull those all together and tied up in a neat bow or need enough bow, then it won't be, it won't feel slow. It'll just feel like, Oh, this is just another step in the building process and it's good. I just feel like right now it's just like, given the truncated nature of this show and given what we know of the context, I think it's just, it's just a lot to do in five episodes that makes me nervous because one thing we learned in a different HBO show that had a truncated season that, oh, they'll figure out a way to do it or they just won't. <laughs> it just it feels a little there were times in this episode where it felt a little like stalling. Mm, OK, it, 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 it felt a little like uh, we're just going to be sneaky for the sake of being sneaky and have some mystery for the sake of mystery. And um, like so they keep trying to make like this tension and rivalry between Laurie and Angela. Yeah, I was just about to bring that up. And their dynamic is good to watch, but I don't know what in the in the universe of the show, why there's tension there. 
because they're both investigating the same thing. And Angela has nothing to lose by Laurie investigating it. It's not like Angela's got some secrets that we as the audience know about. And, you know, now Angela has to be very careful because if Laurie investigates the murder too too much, she's going to find out about Laurie's or, or Angela. If Laurie investigates the murder too deeply, she's going to find out about Angela's dirty dealings. But we don't have that. We have no reason to worry about them, you know? It's almost like, yeah, just work together and solve this murder. I thought you guys cared about this murder. Why are we... Um, the only secret is that Angela's keeping the secret about, like, yeah, there's this Will guy who says he's my grandfather who might be the suspect. Right. And but the show hasn't done a great job of, like, really explaining to us why Angela wants to keep that a secret. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I don't know why, because she was, like, going to arrest him, and, like, she clearly had some inkling that he was related to her or something. And like I said, it's just a little unclear. Like I feel like what I'm feeling right now is like they must have cut two to four minutes of more insight into Angela's backstory or her context. Either that's still more mysteries or just like, Oh, you know, like why does Cal have an accident? Maybe she had an accident. I don't know. It's just like, I feel like there's some like to the point you made earlier, there's some trauma or drama in her history that we're not privy to. That's going to like come out. That was what's driving her to be so like, you know, yeah. secretive about this and I mean, confused. I think what they're trying to do is just she's she's trying to keep the will thing a secret because she feels like she like maybe let a suspect get away and doesn't want that on her record or, you know, but also the suspect might be her grandfather and, and she really wants to know more about her family history. So she's conflicted. And then it will make sense on paper. I'm just saying that's not making it to the screen very well. Um, but also the thing about it is like Within the universe of this show, why can't she just say to Lori, um, I had a suspect who I secretly arrested because, you know, I'm like a secret superhero cop. And you know how we do things in Tulsa. <laughs> a lot of off the book stuff. I had him in my hideout, which is a totally normal thing in our universe. Um, and then he got pulled up into the sky by some kind of contraption. And that's the last I saw of him. But in the world of what also he claimed to be my grandfather and a hundred and plus years old in the world of Watchmen. That's not a crazy story. Mm -hmm. You know, like that would that that's a very like you're talking to the Silk Spectre. She used to sleep with Dr. Manhattan. Like this is not the sort of thing where like, oh, I can't tell her the truth. No one would believe me. Right. Like I imagine in the world of Watchmen, there's a police code for that exact sequence of events. <laughs> oh, you sucked up into the sky by a mysterious thing after claiming to be a descendant. Yeah, that's a 348. Like hmm. I, uh, that's that's also part of why I'm just like, why are these people? Why are they keeping these secrets from each other? This is again, this is a problem that Lost had of characters just keeping important secrets from each other for no obvious reason other than to just keep the drama going. What I call the CW syndrome. Yes. Um, no, I mean, I agree with you. I, I think that's probably the weakest point right now is I don't know why they hate each other so much and why there's all the secret between them, secret secrets and tensions. And I think that could potentially be a weak point that's not addressed because I feel like that time has come and gone in the past two episodes and now we're on to other things. And this rivalry and tension is going to be there for whatever reason. I mean, we know high level, like Laurie hates vigilantes and just vigilante. Okay. That would inspire some mutual hatred, I guess. But maybe yes, maybe no. I'm, I'm unclear about Laurie's real feelings about vigilantes. Um, I'm unclear about it. I think that she, 
she does think that the masks and stuff are kind of dumb, but and I know that it's her job to round up vigilantes, but I can't imagine someone with her past doesn't see that like there's some moral value in what they're doing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, potentially. I'm 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 not sure. I think yeah. there's part of her that could truly just like really like that even though kind of part of her tra- her part of her journey in Watchmen originally was sort of just like this fully understanding and sort of like leaning into the problematic history of her parents. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like you that's something you could very easily regress from given the situation and just be like, nope, they're all terrible. My job is to hunt them down because they're all they're all tr- like traumatized people with daddy issues who are just going to get people hurt and killed. I don't know. I don't know either. And, and and I'd like to find out, like, I'd like to know more. But again, it's it's they're they're hinging this whole relationship of Laurie and Angela on things they haven't done a good job of putting on the screen yet. Like, this is not a mystery that is an acceptable thing at this point. You know right. what I mean? That's what I mean. That's what I meant like, by like, this should have been hashed out in the past two exactly. episodes. It, and it wasn't. Yeah. Why characters are reacting to each other in certain ways should not be a mystery. Now, I want to say I'm, I'm excited for next episode, despite our concerns, because, like I said, looking glass focus episode and he's some crazy, like, you know, ex- multiverse like prepper, basically, and like researcher and maybe conspiracy theorist. And I like that. See, that's really interesting that you saw that angle, because the part that stuck out the most to me was um, like the support group scene. Mm hmm. That it does seem like he's obsessed with it, but it also seems like he's genuinely suffering from um, some kind of PTSD about it. Yeah, I guess I think those things can play into each other in this situation. Um, and I'm also wondering if um, and and I'm probably connecting too many dots here that he's actually a telepath oh. be- because so we have established in the comic that so the the. Um, Obviously, there's some future technology in the in the in this universe. There's some super science going on um, that was established in the comics and and developed in the show. Um, But also in the comics, it was established that telepathy is real um, because Vite harnessed the brain of a dead telepath uh, to build the psychic capabilities of the squid. I forgot about that. Yeah, I, I had to research it this morning. Um, so telepathy is real in this universe. It's the only other, aside from Dr. Manhattan, the only other kind of like superpower that has been like, that exists, that we know of, that exists in the world of mm-hmm. Watchmen. And do you think that that, like, that machine he's using is just a cover? Or well, maybe it like enhances it or something like that? It could be that... You know, he, he he's using the pod to, you know, force the images into the people's brains so that he can then read their reaction. It's essentially works the way he said it was working. But instead of just like watching their facial expression, he's actually using some kind of telepathy. Yeah. Um, and um, and that and because there was a psychic element to the squid attack, that might mean why it, it seems to have hit him harder than other folks. Hmm. Um. And I think it would also create kind of an interesting um, uh, thing around like why he kind of is always wearing the mask even when he's alone. And it seems like he's got an underground bunker and that might be a way of insulating himself from, you know, reading the thoughts of everyone around him. I don't know. I might be making that up. That might be more than uh, is there. But 
Ah, I just really like that character. And I, I, you know, I like the idea of his kind of extraordinary empathy and ability to read people like there might be something more there than just some kind of natural talent he has. Yeah, that could be cool. I mean, it'd be a good, I think a good, in one way, in one way, I think it'd be a good addition, but also it's like, oh, great. One more player mystery to, you know what I mean? To like work into it. But um, no, I I mean, I'm excited to see more of him next episode. Yeah. I'm hoping that that is a trigger for unveiling, unveiling some things, given that he seems to be, have this sort of like, you know, research we saw on this episode like you know he's trying to like learn more about the squids and he seems to have sort of an investigative nature in that way yeah um and i and i also think one of the things i'd like to get back to in the world building a little bit even though right now i'm really like let's get some plot boys let's get some plot um is a little more of like what is the state of the world outside of our characters and I like the idea of like seeing this support group for people who are still dealing with the squid event and understanding a little bit more about, you know, just what is the what is this version of America? What are people doing? What you know, what are the, what are they doing? What what kind of cars are people driving? Because um, I feel like we haven't done a ton of that. Yeah, um, I, mean, I feel like there's two. been a couple of hints of like we see the newspapers and the one people talking about like. Oh, the, you know, what do you think? Apparently the Russians are going to figure out what techno babble they use, but like the Russians are going to build, I think they said something tachyons or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, Oh, does that mean like tensions are starting to go flare up again? Like they haven't done enough to like make me care or think that yet. But I, I, yeah, I I don't, I want to know more too, not just for my own, just like Andrew's obsession with world building, but just like, I just think the context is going to be more important as we get into a bigger story here. Hmm. If we get into a bigger story. If we get into a bigger story, yeah. It could be completely off the rails, but uh, I don't know. I, I'm i just, like, nervous, Greg, because in mm, five weeks from now, we might be sitting here going, boy, this show really shit the bed. Or, boy, this show really brought it all together. Or, eh, it was okay. I mean, is it possible that this show had a great setup and, and didn't really know what to do with it? Yeah. Yeah, Ma- I think many so. Many shows have done it before. I mean, I think that, I think that it's very possible that um, they sat down and they said, we're going to make a sequel to Watchmen. And they said, okay, what does the world look like 30 years after the events of the comics? And they did a great job of building it out. Um, and they think, what are some of the themes we want? Okay. Well, well look, I mean, we got to talk about race. Okay. And they get that far and they say, okay, now what are we going to do? We've built this world and we know the themes we want to touch on. What are we going to do in that world? And they say, oh, murder mystery? <laughs> and they just kind of can't really get that part together. And it's possible. It's possible. It's possible. Hopefully not likely, but very possible. Uh, but I guess we'll have to find out. I'm certainly going to keep watching this show. Yeah, it is engaging in the moment at the bare minimum. So, yeah, no, it, 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 it yeah. And I want to see more weird clone babies pulled out of a lake and then put in a microwave to age with I don't terrible need to see sounds that scene again. infant screaming. Don't need to see that scene again. <laughs> I just actually want this whole show to be that now. Something broken me. No, so one uh, quick thing. Um, back to Ozymandias. What do you think about this idea? Um, everything we're seeing with him is time shifted backwards. Because as it already happened? Yeah. That, um, so he... Somewhere in the, I think in, in episode three, or or maybe it's in the apocrypha, it's explained that um, he disappeared shortly after selling the company to Lady True, uh, which was 2012. And then when he's 
giving his little speech to the new clones in this episode, he says, and they make a very, they make a point of pointing this out, something like, I've been here for four years trying to figure out whatever, whatever. So that seems like that conversation is happening in 2016, Mm -hmm. but the rest of the action of the show is taking place in 2019. It's true. So is it possible that in the events of the show, he's already been escaped from the prison for three years and has been plotting something else this whole time. It'd be an interesting kind of like twist on the whole, I did it 35 minutes ago. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, mm, maybe. Yeah. I just thought it was weird that they really made a point of saying four years. Although you know what been, I mean? Yeah. Yeah. He did say four years and it is like timing of it is weird. I didn't remember the 2012 date, but I'm I had to word on it. Um, <laughs> That, is it it's it's a little bit in the show i think maybe i feel like he disappeared then she bought the company or is it the other way around because i um, that's my that was my inter- initial interpretation uh the the note i have is she bought the company in 2012 after which adrian veet went missing mm, okay hmm. so yeah i don't know but i just thought it was like that's not the kind of thing that you you don't make a point of saying four years unless you want me to know that number. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, that's important in some and, way. And think about that number. Uh, so mysteries on mysteries. Yeah, I know. Too Hopefully, half of them will get solved. Half, if we're lucky. If we're lucky. All right, Greg. Well, I guess we'll be here next week to figure out if we made any more progress in this show. <laughs> God, I hope so. Let's just get one step closer to solving this mystery. Like. <laughs> the only thing we've done since episode two to solve this mystery is Angela has given the KKK robe to glass. <laughs> That's true. That is literally the only thing that has happened. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, I'm going to cogitate on this for a bit longer. All right. Come um, up with some um, more harebrained ideas. I love we'll them. talk next week. All right. Later. See you.